Welcome to Farmgate, where we root out practical solutions for climate and food security. In this programme, I'm asking the question, how can farm vets contribute to sustainability? There's an increasing awareness that farm animal welfare, while important in itself, is also a critical indicator of environmental progress on farms. Good welfare, it seems, goes hand in hand with improved environmental performance. It's extremely difficult to achieve good environmental outcomes while continuing to keep farm animals in the most intensive farm systems. These rely heavily on high-protein feeds, which are often produced in biodiversity-poor arable monocultures, on high levels of fossil fuel and water use, and on routine medications, including human-critical antibiotics. I'll be talking to Laura Hyam, a veterinary consultant from FAI Farms, who coordinates a new group called Vet Sustain, and Simon Doherty, the Senior Vice President of the British Veterinary Association, about the BVA's new policy on sustainable animal agriculture. I'm talking to Laura Hyam, who's a veterinary consultant at FAI Farms based in Oxford. So sustainability can mean many things to many people, Laura. What does it mean in terms of agriculture? So sustainability for us means equal consideration of the environment, the economics and the ethics of food animal production. So within ethics, we consider both uh, the human social dimensions of sustainability, but also the animal welfare um, dimensions of sustainability. And that last one is really crucial because in many traditional definitions of sustainability, animal welfare isn't always included. Laura said that a One Health veterinary approach considers economics and the environment alongside ethical considerations such as the impact on animals and people. She also said that just as the environment can affect farm animals, the farm animals themselves can affect the environment. I asked her to explain more. So animals and the environment are inextricably related. So according to the, the One Health concept, um, Animals, humans and the environment are, are interconnected um, in everything they do. So if we are producing animals in a particular environment, um, then that will impact the health and welfare of those animals. And, and likewise, in reverse, the, the health of those animals can also, interestingly, impact the environment in which they're kept as well. So environment is an interesting term because we need to think about both the, the human built environment that we in which we keep animals, so that might be animal accommodation, and obviously animal accommodation is really critical in terms of how they affect the, the health and welfare of animals that are kept in them. So for example, having good ventilation, having the right bedding, having the right amount of space, um, etc., will impact the, the well being of those animals and, and the health and disease incidence um, in, in that collection of animals as well. Um, but if we think about the natural environment, um, which perhaps is a little bit um, disingenuous because, of course, when we're talking about domesticated uh, farm animals, uh, the, the natural environment in which we keep them is often being manipulated and um, adapted for our own needs. Um, but if we're, if we're thinking about the extensive systems such as ruminant production systems in the UK, um, the, the features of that particular environment, so I'm thinking about the, the weather systems, the topography, the the natural, um, the natural features of the landscape, um, all of those aspects will impact the, the health and welfare of those animals. And a good example is, is that with climate change, we're seeing 
um, an increase in, in li- the incidence of liver fluke in the west of the UK because the intermediate host of the liver fluke is the mud snail, which thrives very well in, in wet, boggy environments such as uh, on, on boggy riverbanks and in um, in poached land. And so uh, we're seeing with, with, with climate change an increase in inclement weather and an increase in the incidence of this particular disease, which is ob- obviously something that we have to double down on um, in, in, in the years to come, uh, potentially through looking at the environment and um, interventions like cordoning off riparian areas. And presumably that's uh, integrating those environmental interventions with, uh, with a really strong health plan. Exactly, and I think this is where vets can have a really strong role, actually, is integrating some of these environmental aspects in, into herd health planning, which traditionally may have been um, in, in implemented by some vets, but I think it's an aspect of health planning that, that we really need to capitalise upon and, and integrate into our working, working lives and, and advice to farmers. Simon Doherty is the Senior Vice President of the British Veterinary Association. I wanted to find out more about the role of vets in delivering sustainability. But first, I asked him to explain the difference between farm animal welfare and farm animal health. In the past, we would, there would have been a much greater focus on, on health. Um, we would have been called out to see cows, um, you know, sick cows or cows with mastitis or calves with pneumonia. Um, and we were very much thinking about the, the, the health aspects. And I think really the profession has, has taken a big change um, in direction and is, is very much more about embracing um, welfare uh, alongside health and, uh, and, and ultimately um, helping to work with farmers in, in terms of improving health, improving welfare and ultimately then having a knock-on effect at improving productivity. You can have good health uh, within a herd or a flock but not necessarily have good welfare. So welfare is looking at the overall um, well-being of the animal. The consumer is certainly expecting an awful lot more. And I think for us as a profession, um, we are, you know, we're looking now at, at providing leadership. You mentioned leadership there. How does farm animal welfare fit into sustainability? And I know that the BVA has got a new sustainability policy. And so perhaps you could flesh that out for me and 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 help me understand what role vets play in delivering sustainability. Sure. Um, BVA recognised that, um, again, as vets and as, as leaders, um, we had a, a really key role to play in, in developing um, uh, leadership around sustainability. Um, and we very much kind of wanted to look at, at where welfare and fit it into that whole sustainability picture. So we're looking at um, again, refining, um, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, mutilation. So things like tails docking and pigs, um, we're looking even at, at fin nipping in uh, intensive aquaculture systems, um, which is where, where they, um, again, we get an abnormal behavior of the, the, the fish sort of um, nipping each other's fins. Um, we're, we're looking at, um, you know, aspects in relation to broiler production. So in fact, can we uh, get a uh, more welfare-friendly product that is still um, economically sustainable by perhaps reducing gross rates slightly? 
Um, can we uh, look at things like free-range egg systems? And actually, when you look over the last five uh, to ten years, the trends towards organic and the trends towards free-range production rather than um, barn systems and so on, uh, you know, we've seen a huge change in, in public perception. I'm back with Laura Hyam from FAI Farms. Laura, you you work with the BVA. Could you tell me, just to pull out uh, two or three things that you think are particularly important from the BVA's new sustainability policy? Yes, the BVA Sustainable Agriculture Policy is is a, is a brilliant um, position from the BVA laying out how the veterinary profession can um, can get more involved in, in developing sustainable agriculture practices on the ground. And it actually includes 13 recommendations um, for the profession. And just a few examples of those uh, recommendations. The f- one of them would be that animal welfare is a key component of sustainability. Also, amongst its recommendations, states that we should be aiming to reduce our ecological footprint of food production. And that is by um, by really boosting certain aspects of, um, of, of agriculture, um, such as biodiversity and the environment. So it's looking as well as, as food production and animal welfare, but also looking at the environmental dimensions. So, so that's really about linking climate change and biodiversity restoration together and saying you can't look at one without looking at the other. Absolutely. And it doesn't explicitly state, but it does um, potentially allude to the fact we should be thinking about regenerative agriculture, which, um, again, has a real One Health um, feel to it by looking at all, all aspects in, in food production. Which brings us quite neatly to your new role. So in addition to your work at FAI, um, you're also the coordinator of a new organisation called Vet Sustain. That's right. So Vet Sustain, we, we've established um, basically as a group, a collective of veterinary surgeons and veterinary nurses from across the profession. And we've recently come together to really champion sustainability within, within and across the profession, um, recognising really that we already do a huge amount in terms of sustainability in our day-to-day work. But we're not necessarily seen as agents of sustainability um, in the public, um, but also that we potentially can do more in, in our particular niches and our um, within our responsibilities in the workplace in, and in the community. And it's about leveraging that position to um, in, improve um, our, our positive impact on society. How can you change things on the ground? How are you How are you working to deliver that? So it's all working progress. I must say that we're um, we, we've literally been established in the last two weeks, um, um, and so we're, we're pretty new and we're developing um, our program as we speak. But really, our main goals are to inform and inspire the profession to make positive changes in in their workplaces. Um, so that that might be through um, looking at medicine use and the impact on the environment and uh, looking at antimicrobial resistance. So it's almost um, trying to pull together a practical sort of how-to, um, how to deliver this, how to deliver that, and giving people sort of step-by-step information. Absolutely. So we're, we're seeking to build a series of toolkits for uh, the veteran profession to look at these different key focus areas um, and to give vets um, the evidence they need um, in a very sort of bite-sized, um, in, in bite-sized resources um, to help them to adopt these principles and practices into their working lives. But it's also looking at a slightly higher level to policy. So one of our major sort of um, uh, less visible sort of series of activities will be all about um, trying to embed policies into major institutions, into universities, into veterinary businesses that really ensure that we're acting in every way we can to reduce our environmental footprint. Laura Hyam. 
Vet Sustain's website is vetsustain.org, or you can find them on Facebook. On Twitter, you can search for at vet underscore sustain. In recent decades, our knowledge of farm animal welfare science has improved. And alongside this, customers have demanded more food from higher welfare farm systems. At the top end of the market, we've seen an enormous shift towards better welfare and improved sustainability. More innovation, better marketing and real improvements to the lives of farm animals. But while the top end of the market has innovated and been duly rewarded by customers, change from the bottom has been much more difficult to deliver. I asked the BVA's Simon Doherty why. I think there will always be early adopters and, and where incentives are put in place, you will get early adopters changing to new systems and recognising the benefits of changing to new systems. You then have a, a sweep of legislation coming in behind which will help to to really bring the, the sort of latecomers, if you like, um, the, the, the laggards um, to to the table and, and improve um, improve the, the standards and, and remove some of those old systems. I mean, recently there's been quite a lot of talk about about welfare outcomes, and, and I think that's a really important part. Um, you know, it, a lot of our farms now are covered in all sorts of you know fancy technology and fancy devices for measuring things, and and I think there's an awful lot more we can do with those devices that are measuring things. So a lot of those those devices, um, whether it's wearable devices on cows or video technology and, and things like that, a lot of them are focused on improving things like nutrition and, and improving health. I think there's a lot, an awful lot more we can be doing with that data around improving welfare, um, looking at the activity of, of animals and pens um, and, and how those provide us indicators of, of different health parameters. So looking, um, you know, certainly at welfare you know, inputs is one thing, and, and that's very much where the, the five welfare needs are really thinking about what an animal needs. But actually looking at the outcomes, um, so things that we can measure in relation to animal welfare, because um, as soon as we start measuring that, we can start benchmarking, we can start setting targets, and we can start really um, raising that bar. Um, and, I, and I think that's going to be a really exciting area of, of um, farm animal welfare um, in the next period of time. And when we're talking about inputs and, and outcomes, I know that there's, a, there's an ongoing, there's a live discussion about um, you know, the, whether there should be greater priority put on inputs or whether it should be on outcomes. And it's interesting to hear what you're saying, Simon, that, um, that, that perhaps the balance is shifting because of the technology and the data um, that's out there, uh, that when it comes to things like dustbase, Thing, it's quite difficult without physically getting in there with chickens uh, to know whether they are doing dust bathing or not. And so, um, uh, and so traditionally, we've looked at stocking density uh, and we said well, with a lower stocking density, it's easier to assume that these things are happening and then we can go and check on them. But, but yeah. do you think that with technology, we'll be in a position where we don't need to have stocking density necessarily as a proxy? We can measure that in and of itself, um, but we'll actually be able to use technology and data to pick up some of that information yeah I, I and i think some of that is already coming um you know i've seen some you know in my my role before i was at bva i was, I was involved with the uh, providing consultancy to the department for international trade and i had the opportunity to see a lot of this new technology that's being developed both for health and welfare i mean certainly a few years ago there was a you know a bit of a look at sort of video technology and you know video technology looking down on a group of pigs the algorithms now 
picking up data from video technology can decide whether uh, you know a pig is lying or standing or feeding. Um, it can decide whether um, even the tail position of a pig um, is up or down and, and, and give a predictive value for the likelihood of, of um, you know an, out, an outbreak of tail biting within a group of pigs. So some of this technology is actually moving very very quickly. Um, certainly in the past, you know, for us to try and do analysis of, you know, 40,000 birds in a, in a poultry house was, you know, incredibly difficult and we couldn't put wearable devices on 40,000 birds in a, in a poultry house. But actually some of the video technology that's now becoming available um, of picking up individual birds and looking at patterns of movement and, and even looking at sort of very basic level in a in a free range system, how many of the birds actually go outside and how many of them just stay inside even if they have a choice to go outside. You know, all of that is is really useful information for us, um, you know, for us to work on. Um, and, and I think, you know, as I say, I, I really think that there's, um, you know, an exciting few years ahead. I'm back with Laura Hyam. Laura, Simon talked about uh, the importance of outcome measures, um, but he also talked about the importance of technology and data. Is sustainability and delivering those outcome measures linked to sustainability all about high-tech monitoring? Not necessarily, but it certainly can play a really important part. So we know that the collection of outcome measures can be quite laborious for farmers, for vets, for other actors in the supply chain, um, because it can be a manual process and, and we can't get away I think for some measures uh, being manually collected, but we can definitely um, leverage technologies to um, to monitor aspects such as animal behaviour um, and link those to technology and um, data systems to allow us to um, expedite the collection of that information and also process um, and analyse that data more efficiently. And finally, Laura, you've talked about recently in an article that you wrote about the need to move beyond the five freedoms and adopt the principle in terms of farm animal welfare of a life worth living. Now, many people listening probably aren't familiar with the five freedoms. Could you tell us what they are and why they're no longer good enough? The five freedoms were first developed following the Bramble Report in the 1970s, and they state that we should be ensuring that we um, keep animals free from hunger and thirst, free from discomfort, free from pain, injury and disease, free to express normal behaviours, and free from fear and distress. And actually, I think they're still very relevant today, just as much as they were back in the 70s. Um, and they're very clear and easy for everyone to understand. And so because the five freedoms of animal welfare focus on um, an, an absence of negative aspects of animal welfare, we do need to move towards a more positive view of welfare, aiming for, as proposed by the Farm Animal Welfare Committee, um, providing a life worth living for animals. And more recently still, they proposed um, aiming for a good life all, all animals. So what, what's and the that, difference? Give, give me an example of, of where, um, where the five freedoms kind of stop and where a good life begins. Well, it's all around, really, in my view, it's around, um, around the behavioural aspects of animal welfare. So you'll, you'll notice that the five freedoms did include um, a freedom to express normal behaviours. And in terms of the, the, the good life for animals, it's really making sure that we're, that we're acting on 
um, that particular aspect because it really has been something that's um, been potentially neglected um, in, in recent decades, certainly for some production systems. So are we going to see the end of uh, farrowing crates in Britain and perhaps sow stores around the world? It's a really good question. I personally, I personally the, way, the way citizens are thinking and the way the consumer markets are changing, I believe that we will see an end to those particular systems potentially in a decade, maybe 20 years. I think it's, it will be slow to change because of the infrastructure investments um, that those systems uh, necessitate. And I think the government will, will always be very um, protective of, of farmers in that way, um, making sure that they're, they're getting um, some revenue from those systems that they've invested in. But I do believe the way things are going, similarly to the, um, the, the traditional um, traditional battery cage for, for laying hens, they will be phased out, I'm quite sure, in, in coming years. And just finally, you work with different retailers and, uh, and, and, and business uh, clients. How do you think it works? Is it the citizen that pushes hard and, uh, and persuades retailers to make the changes that you're talking about there? Or, is, or, or does it come from the other direction? Does it come from um, organisations like FAI uh, and the BVA? Does it come from the retailers? Who, who's, who's pulling who in the right direction? It's a really good question. Actually, it's one that I mull over on a regular basis because I'm still quite sure, to be honest, it comes from both ends and I'm, I'm never quite sure which, which one is the stronger force. But I do think it comes from both ends. I think we're seeing a really interesting swell in citizen expectation from farm animal, um, farm animal systems of production at the moment with a real focus on the environmental impact of, of food production, uh, but also on the welfare aspects too. Um, but saying that, I think it's a relatively small contingent of citizens that, that shout loudly on, the, on these aspects. Um, and also, obviously, we have NGO voices in there as well. Um, and that's really important. But we also have some really important um, progressive initiatives that are being spearheaded at the other end of the supply chain by re- retailers, by food service businesses, and sometimes by suppliers and other intermediaries in the supply chain. Um, so there's some real standout organisations and companies that have really driven uh, major changes in farm animal production systems, be it um, environmental standards or farm animal welfare, um, through sort of small pieces of research, I suppose, that, that um, really demonstrate the win-win solutions for the environment, for animal welfare, and also for production. Um, and that's really great to see. So there, there are lots of examples of that. For example, the, the McDonald's UK um, Poultry and Natural Environments Project um, that was run alongside FAI that showed that the provision of canopy cover, so um, trees on the range for free-range birds, actually improved mortality rates, improved the quality of the eggs, and obviously, as well as those welfare and production benefits, it has um, some major impacts on, on the environment as well through carbon sequestration, biodiversity, um, building soil health, etc. So there's some really nice initiatives that are being certainly spearheaded by the other end of the supply chain too. Well, the cockerel says that that's all we've got time for. But let me try to summarise. In a progressive society, good farm animal welfare is an important end in itself. We should recognise animal sentience and the importance of the five freedoms, but we need to move further and faster. We should act to build positive welfare models, which not only avoid negative factors, but also provide opportunities for animals to have positive experiences, such as the ability to perform their natural behaviours, enjoy fresh air and daylight, and experience the joy of living as an individual, not just as a member of a herd or flock. 
But good farm animal welfare is also essential if we're to deliver in-the-round environmental progress. Genuine sustainability must take account of environmental, social and economic dimensions, meaning that a transition away from the most intensive farm systems is essential if we're to both keep global warming below 2 degrees centigrade and rebuild biodiversity. I'd like to thank my guests, Simon Doherty and Laura Hyam, And if you've enjoyed listening, please come back and listen to more. Tell your friends, like us and share our links. You can join the conversation on Twitter by searching for FarmGate Podcast. And FarmGate is a partnership project for Farmwell and FAI Farms. Thanks for listening. I've been Finlow Castain. Bye for now. (laughs) 